Let's turn to Jonah chapter 3, where we find that God does give again. God gives second chances. That's what we'll find in Jonah chapter 3. Our study of Jonah has been a little bit broken up because of how the Sundays have worked out, but we know the story so well from the song that Jonah asked God to go to Nineveh. Jonah thought otherwise, tried to run away from God's will. God didn't, didn't want that at all, so he stayed with Jonah, didn't let him get away. God's inescapable, and uh, he showed Jonah that he controls the waves, controls the sea, Jonah tried to avoid God's will by jumping overboard or having himself being thrown overboard, but then he's reminded by God that he, God controls the fish too. So Jonah takes a cruise in the belly of a whale, and finally he turns and says, I'll do what the Lord wants me to do. I'll turn to him. And so he finally gets on dry ground, and that's, that's where he is as we get into chapter 3. This is where we find out that God is not only a God who's inescapable, one that delivers, but he's one who gives second chances. That's what I want us to consider, my brothers and sisters in the Lord, the God of the second chances. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for what we can learn from the story of Jonah. He is so like us. And Lord, we ask that we would be instructed from your word by the testimony of your servant Jonah. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. We see in the book of Jonah that God is a key character in this book. He's the one who comes in the very beginning and says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. He's the one, when Jonah runs away, it says, The Lord is hurling a great wind. It says in the end of Jonah 1 that the Lord appointed a, a great fish. The end of Jonah 2, it says, The Lord spoke to the fish. And then again and again and again, the Lord is showing up in this text. And we learn in this passage of the Bible that God is very, very patient. Jonah is one of those books that we need to find a lot about God in. God is patient, and God delivers his people from their sin. And we ought to respond to to God's deliverance by being thankful for God and for what he gives us. You see, when, when God speaks to us, we should obey. That's what we learn in the first four verses of Jonah chapter 3, God speaks, and and what Jonah does is obey, because God gives second chances. Look at the first verse. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah, and it says, the second time. You know, there's a part of us that wishes the story started in chapter 3, and not in chapter 1. It's kind of, we had this hopefulness that the story of Jonah would have been like the story of Noah in Genesis chapter 6, where God commands Noah to build an ark. Of course, Noah has never seen it rain a single day in his life. But God says, do this. There's going to be destruction coming. And what does Genesis 6, 22 says? It says, Noah did it. He did all that God commanded him. God says, get everyone in the ark, chapter 7. And so verse 5 summarizes it and says, Noah did all that the Lord commanded. So some of God's servants obey immediately. Now for the rest of us, it's not always the case. Sometimes we fail and falter. So God gives us a second chance, even though we've failed and faltered, even though we've hesitated to do what God wants us to do. 
Perhaps you've been there before. Perhaps you've run away from God's will, gone the other way, gone to Tarshish, and perhaps you've even desired to die, to kill yourself, be thrown into the sea. You'd rather do that instead of do what God wants you to do. But you know what? How does God treat people like that? In our society, we think if you fail like that, you're done. I can't use you anymore. I'll get someone else. God's not like that. We learn something about God in this second chance, that he is faithful. His love is steadfast and he's loyal. If God is going to be like that to to us, how should we respond but with thankfulness in our hearts to the Lord? Because he is good and he has given us good things. He's given us another chance. He gives another chance to Peter after he falters. And Peter becomes a great person in the church. He gives great grace to Moses, who is extremely hesitant to be the deliverer of Israel. But eventually Moses comes to the point that he submits to God and he says, Lord, if you're not going to go with me, Exodus chapter 32 and 33, if you're not going to go with me, there's no hope. So Moses learns to submit himself to God and to take God at his second chances. Having said that God is a God of second chances, know that there is an end to God's patience. We know that even from the life of Moses and Aaron because they sinned at Meribah. No, Numbers 20 verse 12 says, essentially, there are no more chances. Because you have not believed me, you've not uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I've given them. You know, for some people you don't get second chances. The prophet who wanted to say what he wanted to say instead of what God said in 1 Kings 13, the prophet died. God killed him. There are some people in this world who just don't get second chances. But God does do it for some. We can't assume that God will give us a second chance, but when he gets us that chance, what should we do? Be thankful and grateful, and we should do what God wants us to do. What we find in the second verse of this chapter is that God explains what he wants his servant to do. He told Jonah what he must, what he must do. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Now turn back a page to Jonah chapter 1. Verse 2, and notice the big difference between the commission in chapter 1 and the commission in chapter 3. It says in chapter 1, arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, call call out against it, and then there's a reason given. Why? For their evil has come up before me. You need to call judgment on them because of the just, that's just reward for what they've done. Now turn back to chapter 3, verse 2. The reason here is, that God actually explains the responsibility of Jonah more thoroughly. He says, arise, go to Nineveh, and what does he expect him to do? He says, declare the message I tell you. What's interesting here is God doesn't highlight the content of what, what Jonah was supposed to say. He emphasizes the fact that Jonah has to say what God told him to say. He emphasizes the source, and that's the task of every prophet. Say what God tells you to say. That's the hope of the people. If, if the prophet won't tell the people what God told them, they have no hope. And of course, if Jonah's not going to tell the people of Nineveh exactly what God says, they'll have no hope. And God's message throughout the scriptures is the same. The message that God is holy, that we are created in holiness and happiness, but we fell into sin. And because of our, un, un, our unholiness, because of our sinfulness, we are separated from God worthy of his punishment, worthy, worthy of his judgment. But through Jesus Christ, there's hope. And it's God's will that a sinner would come and repent. That is the message that Jonah had to give. That's the message of every prophet. That's the message that God wants his prophets to give. So God's, 
God works. And he explains himself what he wants them to do. And if God has given us a second chance, what do we do? Verses 3 and 4, let's just take, let's take a hold of those second chances. Don't let them go by. Take hold of them. So Jonah arose, went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So what Jonah is supposed to do is, or he's supposed to say is, I'll go, Lord, where you want me to go. And he gets up and he, he goes. Now before Jonah got up to flee, and now he's getting up to do what God has told him to do. And if you look at a map, you'll find out that he could have started a five-mile trip. You know that serving the Lord can be quite a boilermaker? It's not always easy. It can be quite a trek, but that's the place of blessing. And the reason that we do that is because God has a purpose. And we find that when it says that Nineveh was a great city. It says it in verse 3 and verse 4. It was a great city because it was large. It had suburbs. Verse, chapter 4, verse 11 says there was at least 120,000 people. A big city. It was also significant because it was a cap, the capital of the Assyrian Empire. But of most importance, and in verse 4, it says in the Hebrew, it was that the city of Nineveh was great before God. In other words, it was significant in his plan and his purpose. Why was it so significant? Because God had chosen to work in that place in a great way. And that place was special to him. So that's why he says to his servant, go. Because the city is in God's great plan. Nineveh wasn't important to Jonah. I mean, to be honest, Nineveh was Israel's enemy. And, and, Nineveh, and Jonah probably knew, he could probably see the signs that the Assyrian Empire would come dominate them, which they did decades later, a few decades later. So he doesn't think Nineveh is great. He probably hates Nineveh. But God calls that person to that place because the place is significant to God. The people are significant to God. So God calls us forth to our neighbors who we may think, you know, why, why are they so significant? God may have a plan for them. So it behooves us to go and to preach the word to them. And that's what Jonah does. He, he obeys. And what does he do? He says the message that God told him to say. It's actually five words in Hebrew. Here's the word. Yet, one word. Forty days, second word. I'm sorry. Yet, one word. Forty, another word. Days, another word. And Nineveh, fourth word, will be destroyed, the fifth word. Five-word sermon. And you say to me, that's not a very good sermon, is it? I mean, no illustrations, no reasoning, no explanation, no, uh, no invitation, no gospel references, no closing song or poem. I mean, what kind of sermon is that? Well, Jonah... He promised that the people would be completely destroyed in 40 days. And that's what God wanted them to say. That was the message that they needed. You say, well, why do you say there are 40 days left? Probably that means God is being merciful. I give you 40 days. I want you to repent. He could have said, I'll do it right now. But he says, in 40 days. Shows that God is patient. And how do we respond to God's patience? Just the way the Ninevites responded. They should obey because when people obey, God delivers them from destruction. That's what the Ninevites did. They received God's word. Look at it in verse 5. And the people of Nineveh believed God. 
know, this is what we've been talking about with true conversion. They, number one, have to believe God. That means, according to the text, they weren't believing Jonah. They didn't look at Jonah and say, oh, look at a prophet, let's just believe him. No, they believed the message that God gave them. They weren't putting their trust in Jonah. They were putting their trust in God who gave them the message. And they believed God's message who says there will be destruction coming. And you think from a sermon like that, how did the Ninevites have a clue about all that we think of, think of when we think of salvation? But you have to remember, in Romans chapter 1, God teaches that people understand who God is. That he's a creator. That he made things good. And that we are all accountable to him. He gave us a conscience that we realize that we must submit ourselves to him. So the Ninevites did know about God. And they said, well, this is the true God. He's going to judge us, so what should we do? We should seek the mercy of this God that we've wronged. They come to grips with the reality of what they've done, and they've come to the grips with the reality of who they've transgressed, who will judge them. So not only do they believe God, but they also repent of their sin. Look at verse 8. In the middle of verse 8, it says, Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. When the word turn is used there, shuv in the Hebrew, what does that refer to? That's the Old Testament word for repentance. Repent. Turn from your evil. And that's what they are doing. They are turning from their sin. How do you know that? Because they change their actions. They are to put away their violent ways. And if you've read anything about Nineveh, they were very violent, very savage. They turned away from their evil, wicked deeds. In addition to the changing their actions, they changed their attitudes. The Bible says they fasted, called a fast, and they put on sackcloth. Look at verse 5, second part. They called a fast, put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least. Verse 6, the word reached the king of Nineveh. They, he arose from his throne, the high place. He removed his robe, his splendor. He covered himself with sackcloth, and he sat in the ashes. Can't you see his change of attitude? He's humbling himself. That's what repentance is. It's turning from your way to the Lord, humbling yourself before the Lord. It shows true faith. It shows the idea of turning from darkness to light. And God changes all kinds of people, even the least to the greatest, even to the king. And what a revival that was. It was so strange that it actually changed everything in their life. I mean, they put everything down to do this. I mean, they just put pause on life. Look at verse 7 with how they paused their life. He issued a proclamation published in Nineveh by decree of the king and his nobles, neither, uh, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. Any of you own animals or understand people who own them? What happens if you don't feed your animals for a little while like you normally do? They're going to start squawking. I mean, the cattle, the cows there would have been making a racket because all of a sudden the people stopped everything and turned to the Lord and it affected everyone in that, in that culture, in that society there. They repented and they hoped on the mercy of God. Look at verse 9. They don't assume that God will show them mercy. They just cast themselves on his mercy. Verse 9, who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from this fierce anger so that we may not perish. He said, that's what sinners do. That's what a humble person does. He just throws himself at the mercy of God. He says, I have no other hope, no other way, no other good works that will commend me. I throw myself completely on God. And that's what the Ninevites did. 
And what does God do when people do that? God shows them mercy, verse 10. And God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, repentance there. God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. You see, God was going to destroy Nineveh, but when the people changed and they repented, what do we know from Isaiah fifty-seven fifteen? The holy God dwells with those who are of a humble and contrite spirit. He doesn't shoo them away, but when someone would do that, he dwells with them. He doesn't destroy them. When they repent, they turn from their evil way. When they change their mind, they change their actions, they change their attitude. The Lord shows them grace and mercy. And that's our hope. God gives us second chances. And when we humble ourselves, when we submit to him, what does he give us? He delivers us. He blesses us as he did the Ninevites. Was God getting soft? No. God didn't just say, oh, I'll pass over what they do. I'll give you a free pass. No, what the people did was say, I'm going to take God at his word. I'm going to repent of my sin, and I'm going to throw myself at the mercy of God. And this is one of the greatest revival stories in the entire Bible. How a non-Israelite people of God group of people, pagans, turn from their gods to the one true God. And that is but an example of the church. A group of pagans who worship everything else, who finally believe God's word given through his messenger, and they say, have mercy. And God brings revival. And that is our hope. Our hope is in that God who gives second chances, the God who does not exact judgment in the moment because we all deserve to be in hell right now, but God who is in kindness and faithfulness sent Christ. Wonderful story we can learn in the book of Jonah in chapter 3. Father, we pray that when we get these second chances and we know that we fall and falter all the time, we pray that we would not abuse your grace you know, Paul even says, should we sin so that grace may abound? No. Lord, what we need to do is to take on your grace and take on the spiritual strength you give us. And Lord, obey you as Jonah did. And Lord, to see you deliver, to see you deliver us from our sin, to see you deliver other people from their sin. We ask that we would see this in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.